0: National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life.
1: The, the Church began the new year by saying goodbye to two towering figures in Catholic history, Pope Benedict XVI and Cardinal George Pell. This week on Register Radio, we talk to Register contributor Father Raymond De Souza about the legacy of the Pope Emeritus and the extraordinary life and suffering of Cardinal Pell. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor for EWTN News. Matthew, it's uh, a privilege to be in studio with you in Birmingham. That's not something that happens often, but no, it's not it's Not
2: to mention a lot of fun.
1: It is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. But, of course, these have been some heavy weeks, um, some weeks of great journalistic activity. You just returned from Rome. You were there with Father Raymond, uh, did wonderful broadcasts for EWTN, and it it was great coverage. Um, And then, of course, we're now experiencing uh, the loss of Cardinal Pell, which was quite a shock. Benedict, we knew, was in decline, but Cardinal Pell, this was a a, a real sad um, uh, notice.
2: Yeah, quite literally within just a few days of the funeral Mass uh, for Pope Benedict and his entombment in St. Peter's Basilica uh, in the Grotto. Here we have Cardinal Palli. It it came as a major shock to everyone.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we'll review the past couple of weeks. It was December 31st that um, Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict XVI died. Uh, it it was the, not only the passing of a retired pontiff, as as remarkable as that always is, um, but it, it was really as it always is. It's, it, it hasn't happened um, in so many years, but as remarkable as that, that moment is. But it's the death of one of the greatest theologians and minds um, uh, of the church in, in, in history. So this was a lot to talk about, and we did some talking in the last couple of weeks. Um, and then, of course, here's Cardinal Pell, who... Uh, was the the Archbishop of Sydney, the former Archbishop of Sydney, but he was also the first president of the Vatican Secretariat for Economy, uh, and he died of complications after hip surgery, a, a cardiac arrest after uh, hip surgery. So he spent more than uh, more than a year, a few, I think it was. More, well, more than a year in prison, four hundred and four days to be precise. Days. Yeah, most of it in
2: solitary confinement. There
1: you go for a um, what ended up being a false conviction <laughs> of sexual abuse of a minor, a wrongful conviction. So we have a lot to talk about. I want to bring on uh, Father Raymond D'Souza, columnist for the Register, longtime columnist. Father Raymond, um, we're very grateful to have you um, writing for the Register, um, but also participating in EWTN coverage uh, as as a as a guest um, host and, and, um, and, and now too on Register Radio. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you, Jeanette. Good to be with you. And as you mentioned, Matthew and I were together what seems like a long time ago because there's so <laughs> already. much ready, but it was only a few days. And in fact, uh, it was uh, that Tuesday after Pope Benedict died that uh, Matthew and I were on set with Cardinal Pell who came on our uh, on our broadcast that evening so not long ago at all
1: Right, and and we think that that um, these interviews that were done this week with uh, Cardinal Pell were the last uh, that he did. So it's it's very interesting. We'll turn to Cardinal Pell in the second uh, segment, but I, I wanted to first talk about uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict and this unprecedented passing. It gave us a chance to um, to begin to accept uh, to a- assess his legacy. The Register did that in a special section, and with lots of coverage uh, online. You met both um, Pope Benedict and you, you knew Cardinal Pell. Um, how how did you know them? What did you What did you think of them?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, starting with Pope Benedict, I mean, as uh, I read the Cardinal Ratzinger for a very long time before he became Pope, um, I never met him except in passing. Mm-hmm. So I met him as Cardinal and as Pope, but it, like just for greeting, nothing substantive. Uh, Except I met him in retirement uh, in 2015, January, so about eight years ago. uh, I had commissioned an image for the chaplaincy where I was then assigned of that uh, meeting at the inaugural mass of John Paul II. There's a famous scene where the cardinals come up and they greet John Paul. And I had a Canadian artist paint that scene or draw that scene. And I took a copy of it. And I wrote ahead, and uh, actually Cardinal Pell was the one who uh, wrote a kind of supportive, supporting letter. And um, they I was invited to go and meet Pope Benedict in the Vatican Garden. Um, when he was in retirement, he received visitors. If they were more, if you want to say, uh, visitors that he knew very well or very high-ranking that be received in the House, but for other people like myself, after he prayed the rosary in the afternoon, walking in the gardens, uh, it was time to greet him, which they extended to me, so I got to show him that image, and, uh, and uh, that historic moment in the life of the Church, kind of 35 years of the pontificates, of so two of them sort of symbolized there. And I was there with another priest, and it was very interesting, I mean, he, he was interested in the symbolism we put in it, and he was very gracious. Uh, but then he began to ask us what we studied and, and what our topics were. Even though I was not a student at the time, so it was an insight that you know he was always a professor who was interested in academic work and studies. And even though you know, we would had nothing, you know, of great interest to tell him, but he was interested in that. So that was my meeting with him. Very and, interesting. Uh, and it was just, it was a very beautiful uh, moment and a beautiful memory. Uh, but I would you know the impact of Joseph Ratzinger, uh, Benedict XVI, on my thinking, and especially my biblical thinking and approach to the Bible, uh, is is very, very large, and in that I I belong to a huge generation, which would say that, you know, that um, I had the opportunity, actually, the night before I arrived in Rome, so I was at the airport getting ready to fly to Rome for the WCN coverage, and I talked with Dr. Scott Hahn on the phone, Mm-hmm. And uh, and I wanted to ask him, uh, because, you know, Scott Hahn is, and he, those of his team have been one of the real forces for renewal of biblical knowledge and biblical theology in the English-speaking world. And I said, you know, what was—and he wrote a beautiful book, by the way, on Benedict. It's more of an academic book called Covenant and Communion, which I read some years ago, Scott Hahn's book on Benedict's theology. And I asked him, what was the—like, how did you first—what first impacted uh did Ratzinger have on you? And he told me a story that in 1983, this is three years before he becomes Catholic, he's in a bookstore, and there's a like a bin of, like a used bookstore, free books, and he picks up Ratzinger's Introduction to Christianity, and he goes home and he reads it, and it's fascinating. He just keeps fascinated by this theology and this writer, and he goes to talk to a friend of his, also a theologian, um, and this time, Scott Hahn is a Presbyterian pastor, I think, it's, if I got the timeline right, and he said, have you, uh, have you heard about this Joseph Ratzinger? And he says, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, he was already a cardinal prefect at the time, but Scott Hahn had not heard of him. And the fellow goes and picks up the local the, uh, the recent issue of Time magazine and says, is this what you're talking about? <laughs> 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 and he says, well, you know, actually, Scott, he's actually quite well-known. And that began a lifetime of reading, and, you know, and Scott Hahn has done the forwards to his books and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, whatever impact he had on Scott Hahn, you know, has multiplied his impact by, you know, how many tens of thousands of people.
2: So,
1: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely, and we were so grateful to have Scott Hahn write, uh, you know, a tribute, um, almost immediately, um, once he heard uh, that uh, uh, Benedict had died, he sent us something, right. so the Register was able to publish that, which is always a privilege to have um, right. Scott Hahn writing for us. I wanted to ask you about the funeral. I mean, you were there from a very right. interesting no. vantage point, but what what were your thoughts on, on Benedict's funeral and, and and how that went, and, and how the world uh, recognized him, at least the Catholic world?
0: Well, you know, the, the interesting thing was, and, and Matthew and I spoke about this at length, was that this was something entirely new. Uh, we've never had, ever, in the history of the Church, a retired Pope who's being buried with, you know, tranquility. There's no crisis, you know. <laughs> um, there was, you know, there's some examples in the commentary that the last time was sitting Pontiff buried his predecessor, it was Pius the Sixth, but, you know... Pius VI died in captivity, and they had to sort of, two years later, bring the bones back. I mean, there was nothing like this, a tranquil moment in the life of the Church. Um, I was very moved at the end of that uh, image of Pope Francis, you know, reverencing the casket, because that's something we've never seen before, and Mm -hmm. uh, we know the doctrine of apostolic succession. We know that, you know, the successor of St. Peter, you know, was... There's one comes before him and one after him. But we've never seen an image like that. And uh, so now we have an image to go with that doctrine or that uh, that reality of life. Which I found that very moving. I would say there was a bit of disappointment. Uh, you know, the, the, the crowd was very small by you know, papal standards. There mm-hmm. were 50,000 people there. Uh, the next day at the Angelus for the Epiphany, there were 60,000. Uh, Benedict, in his lifetime, had some general audiences occasionally that got up to that amount. So, you know, it wasn't like John Paul's funeral, or like, you know, I'm sure the funeral of Pope Francis in the future, um, when you have a sitting pontiff who dies, and there's a sense of, you know, everything that goes along with that. So, um, in that sense, the the liturgy, the the funeral liturgy, was simple but beautiful. Um, But there was a kind of, at least to my sense, Uh, a sort of a flatness that I regretted because, you know, know, had Benedict died in office, it wouldn't have been like that, right? So, um, but in recent years, you know, Matthew and I have actually been there in 2018, 2019 uh, for some synod coverage. We've covered canonization that took place there. And even those, you know, in recent years, I'd say that the ceremonies in Rome have seemed a little uh, less grand. You know, uh, the last really grand one I remember was of course the canonization of john paul and the beatification of john paul that's almost 10 years in the past so i would say i was very i was a great honor to be there um and there's some very touching moments but i would say that i felt a little bit given my uh great esteem and admiration and love for pope benedict that um i would have liked to send something grander but it, it it it, it was fitting that it wasn't grander. He wasn't pope anymore. Right. We have
2: to We so
0: I'm not saying it was a mistake, but you know what I'm saying. It was. It was not what I might have otherwise,
2: uh, you know, hoped for. Well, and Benedict himself uh, wanted something of simplicity. Um, and and it's uh, easy to fall into the trap of making comparisons between this funeral and John Paul II's, which was the largest funeral in human history.
0: You yes, know. that's true, Matthew. But I am saying, even if you know, mm-hmm. all the Sixth funeral or whatever, we just did, if you, I mean, it right. sounds silly to say a run of the mill papal funeral, but you know, uh, <laughs> right. that kind of um, thing. So it was a bit, uh, uh, you know, it was new. It
2: was yeah, new definitely and, new, you know, and well,
0: everybody had to figure out what it was. Uh, so
2: uh, it was so like, so here we are, father, now in position to really ab- move the question of legacy. I remember talking with you about this, that uh, there was always a certain fear that uh, the legacy will always be the first thing mentioned as he was the first pope to resign in 600 years. But that would be such a, a horrible injustice to who he was and what he accomplished.
0: Well, you know, the American historian uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, you know, who uh, writes about president, I think it's her, if I'm, if I'm confusing her with someone else, I, I, uh, I apologize for getting a bit mixed up, but I think it's her who says, you know, every president gets one line. So, you know, Lincoln freed the slaves. You know, uh, uh, FDR, the New Deal. And I think she said in relation to Ronald Reagan, you know, he won the Cold War. Um, so that's, whether it's fair or not, Matthew. I I get your point, but history sometimes just gives you one line, and um, if there's only going to be one line about that, it will be the uh, abdication, because that really was something entirely new. Um, However, you know we're not going to be living in history looking back for this hundreds of years from now. Um, So we're living now, and we have the benefit of, uh, of all of the teaching of Ratzinger Benedict being current. I mean, he addressed current issues in the life of the Church and current challenges that come from the culture around us. So I would hope that that this milestone, the final one, his death, uh, might prompt a lot of people to uh, turn again to his uh, theology. And the difference between Benedict and some of his predecessors, uh, the pr- most of his predecessors would be known for what they did as pope, and of course that stops when they're no longer pope when they're dead. Um, But Benedict's richness of teaching has a legacy that really belongs to those very few popes, you know, even going back to the patristic period, whose teaching endures, like Gregory the Great, like Leo the Great. Um, So he will have a different legacy. I mean, if it's only one line, yeah, the abdication, but if it's if it's a paragraph or if it's an article, then it's going to be more than that, and has uh, very rich legacy. The other thing I'd just say briefly about the abdication is that we won't be in a position to judge it until long after you and I are dead, Matthew, because we don't know is it was this the first of many? Is it the first and it never happened again? Um, you know, we have to get historical perspective on the pontificate of Pope Francis and so forth, so we're not really in a position to know how that's going to come out.
2: We're, we're still s- assessing Vatican II.
1: <laughs> well, that's right. true. Yeah. You could argue
2: we're still assessing Trent.
1: We're in, in, uh, in the Church's time. We're we're uh, very close to these events, yeah. so... Well,
0: so, I would... One thing, especially about Vatican II, uh, Matthew, you mentioned that, and Jeanette, pardon me, Jeanette, you mentioned that, um, is that I think that he's you know, Bendit gave quite a bit of information, uh, rather, discussion recently to the Council, uh, recently, I mean, in the last um, 10 years, 20 years. And I think that that's a good starting point, you know, we're we're now looking at the 60th anniversary of the Council, and... uh, He has a lot of guidance to give us there, for sure.
1: Absolutely. I do think that will be one of the the things, the legacies that we continue um, to delve into and explore, at least at the register. I mean, that has been... um, He has been... Uh, guiding us, I think, in our coverage as we've looked back at these anniversaries of uh, of Vatican II. So, I want to point our listeners to uh, uh, your latest column on Pope Benedict. It was titled "Pope Benedict: A Life Marked by Four Salient Symmetries." Um, but we're going to take a short break. We'll continue this conversation um, with Father Raymond De Souza here on Register Radio. When we return, you're listening to EWTN.
3: For nearly a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the Register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio
0: on EWTN.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen, Executive Director of EWTN News. We've been talking uh, with Father Raymond D'Souza, Register columnist, about the passing of Pope Benedict XVI and his legacy, And then, of course, less than a week after his funeral, we lost, the church lost Cardinal George Pell, uh, an immensely important cardinal, an immensely important figure in the life of the modern church. Uh, He died at the age of 81 from complications of hip surgery, uh, and it was really shocking. Uh, Father Raymond uh, we talked about how you first met uh, Benedict, when you met Benedict, which only happened once in in reality. But um, when did you first meet Cardinal Pell, who actually introduced you to Benedict that one time you spoke of?
0: Well, it's, it's a register story, Jeanette, uh, which goes back to uh, even before your time, and even before Matthew Bunsen's time at the register, so that's going back to uh, 1998. Uh, there was a synod in Rome, John Paul had called these series of synods for different regions, and there was a synod for Oceania, which was included Australia, or most of it were for Australia. And I did an interview, I was just starting as a Rome correspondent for the Register, as something I agreed to do in the fall of 98 for a few weeks to help <laughs> them out.
1: <laughs> You're still writing for us.
0: <laughs> and now it's, it's literally 24 years later, and that was supposed to be a few weeks anyway. There you have God's providence. And I went to interview him. Uh, he was Archbishop of Melbourne, and I went to interview him for the Register. And uh, he was—he answered the questions. He was a great interview. Everybody's probably the best interview in the Catholic Church um, in English, anyway. And um, the uh, and but more to the point, he saw a young—I was a seminary at the time. Uh, And he took an interest in me, and he kind of uh, extended his spiritual paternity to me, even though I wasn't one of his seminarians. And from that, uh, formed a friendship that lasted now more than 20 years, and included, uh, I spent uh, several weeks in 2007 and 2008 living with him in Sydney, related to World Youth Day, I hosted him in 2008. He came to visit me in Kingston. He said Mass in my chaplaincy. He addressed our dinner, John Fisher dinner, and um, so it was a very. It was a big blow when I got the call yesterday. Uh, rather on would have been Tuesday this past week, um, um, and I had you know I interviewed him as uh, we mentioned in the earlier segment on that Tuesday after Benedict died. And on Thursday evening after the funeral, I was with him in his apartment in Rome. About five or six of us were there and uh, had a great evening. And he told us we are not uh, marking the end of the John Paul Benedict's great partnership in history. Uh, he said we're not marking the end of an era. He said that the, the good work that they did and the seeds they planted uh, will, uh, it's our task now to carry that. And uh, so it was a very beautiful evening, um, a very, very beautiful evening, and the last thing he said to me as I was leaving that night, uh, Thursday after the funeral that morning, was that uh, one of the last things that Benedict was reading in life, or having read to him, was uh his prison diaries, Pell's prison diaries in German.
2: Which well, funny... So, uh, <clears throat> It's funny you mention those, Father, because uh, we were talking about uh, a one line to describe somebody. Uh, in Benedict's case, it might be that he was the first pope to resign in 600 years, but I suspect that for many, especially in secular media, the one line about Pell was that he was convicted and that was overturned. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's his, a similar uh, question about a legacy, but also this trial is is hanging over everything.
0: His legacy is multi, uh, multi-form. One thing I would mention, because most readers will uh, not get it elsewhere, is that he was enormously important in the liturgy in English. He was the one who presided over the committee that was the principal advisory committee that gave us the English Missal, that's the same for all over the world. He was not the only one that took decisions in that regard, but that's very important. Um, he was the most important English-speaking bishop in the world for the last 20 years. Uh, he kept in his office, when I visited him in Sydney, he had his he had a portrait of Cardinal O'Connor in his office, and I think he thought that that was the model of how to be a bishop. And I think Cardinal Pell started off being the John Cardinal O'Connor of Australia,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but he transcended O'Connor because he became important for the whole world in a way that John O'Connor never did. I mean, not John O'Connor was very very important to the United States. But Cardinal Pell actually became a kind of Cardinal O'Connor for the whole English-speaking world. Um, But that all being said, yes, the fact that he was falsely accused, falsely wrongly convicted, eventually, thanks be to God, exonerated, that he went to prison for a year. And the reason he was in prison is because significant significant segments of Australian opinion hated him. It's not too strong a term, and they hated him because He was a champion of the Catholic faith, and uh, that's why they put him in prison on these trumped-up charges that were completely implausible. And he greeted all of that with great equanimity and uh, Christian uh, charity. Um, And so he uh, is—look, he is one of the most important figures of the last 25 years. Uh, He's a colossus of the Catholic Church globally, the most important bishop in the English-speaking world, certainly the last 20-some years. Uh, and he, but he was a personal friend and father to me, and uh, so I'm very sad.
1: yes, absolutely. and i i can I can hear that and and I know it because we, who were not so close to him, but who have obviously covered these last years and and all of his work at the Register, have experienced that same letdown, that same sadness over this. Jonathan Lidl, our senior editor, wrote an analysis. It's who will step up to replace Cardinal Pell in defending truth? the truth of the Catholic faith. Uh, And he talks about the, since Pell was released from prison, all of the defense that he has made uh, um, of the church and and the faith. He's, he's been an outspoken critic of the German synod. Um, One of his last things that he wrote uh, in the spectator was uh, that the synod on synodality is a toxic nightmare. Um, I mean, those are strong words. Um, There's quite big holes to, to, shoes to fill, you know? There, there's a big hole left. Um, who will fill well, this it's, hole?
0: It, it's, a, it's a very worrying thing. The Church needs someone like him, and you can't just reproduce him. You know, when Cardinal O'Connor died in the United States in 2000, uh, the question was, you know, who would take over that astonishingly important voice? And it really moved to Cardinal Francis George of Chicago, who was not the public combative figure or champion, but a a great intellectual figure. Uh, Cardinal Pell was kind of a combination of Cardinal O'Connor and Cardinal George. You know, he was a more intellectual figure than Cardinal O'Connor, like Cardinal George, but not as—he wasn't the theological mind that Cardinal George was, but he was also more combative, more more of a champion, more of a, uh, a fighter in the public square than Cardinal George was. So he combined those two and he kind of took over from you know especially Cardinal George when he died in twenty fifteen if I remember correctly um but you know there's a lot of people' a lot of bishops in the world, and I'm mentioning three Cardinal O'Connor Cardinal George, and Cardinal george Pell uh so they're not they're not they don't fall off trees and um uh, yeah i I understand. I read what Jonathan wrote, and I hope that there are those who um who understand the value of Cardinal Pell's witness and to take courage. Um because it wasn't automatic for him. I mean, all of us who were his spiritual children thought, well, obviously he's going to do it because he always does it, and he can take the blows because he always does it, and he's strong because he's always strong.
1: Well, we certainly pray for the repose of the soul of Cardinal George Pell, um, and we pray for those to rise up who become defenders of the truth in in his like and in the likeness of, of Benedict as well. Father Raymond, thank you. Remember for more news, analysis, and commentary to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette Mello, and until next week, I pray that God
0: bless you.